This is one of those passages where I was telling Trent today, uh, I kind of wanted to break from expository preaching and not do this passage. Um, this, is, this is a heavy passage in many ways, and this is just part one. Part two is next week, and that's a heavy passage too. But then I just look at James, I'm like, man, all of it's heavy. So, we, so we're going to keep plowing through. I, I don't really want to miss this passage, but what I, what I really do want to say is that there's a difference um, in the pulpit in someone who preaches and someone who pastors. Um, one of my mentors asked me whenever I told him that I wanted to, um, that I felt called that we were supposed to plant this church. He said, well, I just have a question. I don't know if you've thought about it. Do you, do you want to preach or do you want to pastor? He's like, because if you just want to preach, you can fill a pulpit anywhere. And I said, I don't want to preach. I want to pastor. And so what I'm saying to you is that, that I'm not a preacher up here. I'm a pastor who's walking with you, amongst you, shoulder to shoulder. And, and the pastor's... Let me start with a, pre- a preacher can get up here and deliver a message and be disconnected from the people. The pastor is going to walk with the people and have a heart for the people and is going to shepherd the people. And so my pastoral heart in this is to tell you before we even begin, Cross Life, Fort Smith, friends, families, remember the gospel as we preach this passage. Okay? Because my heart says that as we preach something that is so good and meant for our good, that Satan will come in and try to just completely destroy us in it. Because we will see our shortcomings, we will, and maybe you won't, but, but I know as I'm studying, as I'm looking at it, I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, like how far have I moved away sometimes? But by the grace of God, he just holds me fast. So remember the gospel, even as we preach this, but at the same time, don't give yourself a get-out-of-jail-for-free card for where we are guilty and where we need to repent. Jesus has already given us the get-out-of-jail-free card. I hate that phrase, but I'm, because I've used it, like I want you to understand. He's already paid the penalty for our sin. He has already given us all of eternity and full access to Him. Right? We, this is the closest to hell that you and I will ever get but because, or because of the grace of God. But this is a pretty challenging passage and, uh, and my, the, the weight on my heart as I was preparing it was, number one of, oh, goodness, Lord, um, what, what if we just don't? Like, what, this is hard. What if we don't do this one? What if we just fast forward? Um, but I knew we would, and I know, I know we have to, because every, every word in there is meant to equip us and make us stronger and more faithful to him. And then the other concern I had was, okay, Lord, as we preach it, guard us. Like just guard us and help us to remember the gospel. So that's what I'm going to say on the front end. Remember the gospel that you and I were enemies of God. We were sinners. There was nothing good in you and I. We were following the way of the, the world, the way of, of the God of this world, which would be Satan. That's the direction, the pathway we were going. We were willingly walking towards hell, but Christ came for us. And when he came for us, he secured us unto himself, and he spilt his blood for our behalf. By his wounds, we have already been healed. Okay? So with that in mind, James is writing to Christians who are scattered, and he's writing to us today. He's reminding us of what this actually looks like. And so, here we go in verse 19. He writes, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So that's our passage for today. Now, next week, we're actually going to begin in 22 and move to 27. So I'm going to go ahead and include 26 and 27 so that we can keep everything kind of in context. He then goes on and says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we'll get to those last two passages next week with, with 22 through 25 kind of being a, a transition uh, for us. So today, 19 through 25, and, and here's what God's Word tells us. Right, we're just going to move through it as we always do, verse by verse. But for, for 19 through 21, here's what you and I need to focus on. We need to be prepared to hear. You have to be prepared to hear. All right, so we're going to kind of start with like a, a broad, you know, understanding of what that means, and then we're going to pull it into the Word itself. But verse 19, you know, this is one that if you haven't memorized this one, you probably need to memorize verse 19. You don't even have to memorize the entire verse, where it says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then it goes into, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That is a verse that I will make my sons memorize. It's a verse that I think that we all need to memorize because there's just a lot of wisdom in there. But, but a lot of people don't know this about me, but, but whenever I was younger, there was an anger that I kind of harbored within me. And, and I can remember a few times whenever I would have kind of this outburst of it and I was little, I was, I mean, just like every kid will have this outburst, and I would have some of those, but as I grew older, it was something that I kind of kept within me, and I would just kind of let it simmer, and so this is a verse that's actually pretty near to me, and it's one, honestly, all that, that I've used so many times this week already, and it's also one that I forget over and over again. It's right there in my heart, it's right there in my mind, it's right there in my mouth, and yet I don't live a life that always models it. Anger is so near to who we are. But it's because we've got to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So I want to kind of look at those uh, first and then understand, like, why, why those are there. But this is one that if you haven't memorized and you're wondering where should you start memorizing, I would memorize this one for sure. I use this with students and I use it with young men um, as I get to talk to them and I encourage them Please memorize this one. It's one I needed, it's one I need, and it's one that you're absolutely going to need. Why? Because look at verse 19, the very, very beginning. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person, everyone who professes the name of Christ, this is for you. All right, so let's just take, here it is. How do these apply to life in general? Look at verse 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brother. So in other words, every brother and sister, so wives and, 
and moms and, and women don't think that this is just for the men. So, so let, let every Christian, here's something that you really need to know. That's what he says. Like he just followed the opening section on James, a servant, a bond servant, a slave of God. And then he says, you need to count it all, all joy when you endure all these trials and temptations. Look at verse 18 of his own will. He brought us forth by the truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I mean, first fruit yeah, of his creatures. And then he immediately follows that, you and I being first fruits with, you need to know something. And the first thing he wants them to know is this. You really need to know, let every person, every person, okay, I'm just breaking down even the verse by verse, You've got three things to do. And it tells us, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now why? Why do you and I need that? And verse 20 tells you. For the anger of man or woman, or, or the anger of what we would uh, choose in our preference and desire, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think that we could just sit here and let that sink in. Let the Holy Spirit do His work. Because there's a whole lot there that if we begin to just let that sink in, I mean, how, how often are we quick to listen and slow to speak? How often are we slow to speak and, and even slower to anger? Right, but, but we're, we are going to keep pushing on, but The thing is, is that the anger of man, the frustration of man that you and I most likely harbor and encounter will not produce the righteousness that we profess that we have. The verses really are, they're they're for all of us. But but you and I, I kind of want to break down each one of these. Let's be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? Those are the first two things. I want you to turn to Proverbs, either on your phone or in your Bible. I know we've got our scripture journals there with us. But y'all, there is a correlation between how much we listen and how much we speak. We cannot listen if we are busy speaking. Okay, this is not a marital talk. This is not like for brothers and sisters. This is the fact of life that there is a correlation between how much we can actually listen when we are busy speaking. And one of the first things that James wanted us to know is that it's time to be quick to hear and slow to speak. I just want you to look at a few of these. Uh, let's start in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. Proverbs 10, 19. James has a lot to say about the tongue. We're only touching on a, a little bit of it right here. We're going to do these three verses. Verse 10, 19 says, When words are many... Sin is unavoidable. That's not Ricky. That's the Lord speaking through his servants who are writing at the time. When words are many, sin is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Look at Proverbs 17.27. So you're going to be flipping to your right. But Proverbs 10 said that basically if you're going to talk a lot, you will fall into sin. But the one who doesn't talk a lot, there is wisdom there. Proverbs 17:27 says this: "A man of knowledge restrains his words, 
and a man of understanding maintains a calm spirit. So you can kind of hear that parallel between James and Proverbs right there. Proverbs 19.20. Proverbs 19.20 says this. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? In other words, someone who's ready to jump in there and just start talking. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? Scripture says there is more hope for a fool than for him. And that's just three verses from Proverbs on speech and patience and wisdom. But... Proverbs is full of it. James is going to talk more about the tongue. We even know that that's coming next week. But y'all can go ahead and turn back to James, and, and all you have to do is begin reading Proverbs, and you're going to see that, that Solomon and, and the wise collection of sayings all really go back, and, and they're looking at um, how we speak, how we listen, how we interact with one another. There's also an old saying that, that I'm pretty sure my grandpa might have told me at one point, but I'd, I'd forgotten, and then once I came across it again, I, I really think I can remember Papa Ferris saying this, but we have two ears and one mouth so that we may hear twice as much as we speak. I've heard that one as well. Okay, so you have two ears, one mouth, so that you can hear twice as much as you actually speak. James is really trying to get us to understand, y'all, that when we are speaking, we are not listening. Isn't this true, parents, whenever we're talking to our kids and we're trying to talk to them and they're trying to talk with us and we get them to be quiet because we know that if they're talking, they're not listening. How much more so true is that in our Christian lives? Right? So, we don't have to rush into speaking. He exact, in fact, he says that the, it's okay to be quick to listen and slow to speak. That's what we are supposed to do. This is completely opposite of some of you and some of me um, in this regard. I'm a fixer. Now, I like to fix things, so somebody brings me a problem. I want to talk through it. I want to try and, and, and come to a conclusion with it. Drives Chas crazy. Sometimes I think she's just wanting to tell me what's going on and what she's thinking through, and I'm ready to jump in there, and I need to just be quick to listen sometimes. Man, that's amazing. I just saw so many wives nod their head with that kind of like, thank you, Ricky. Okay, but, but man, we are like that. We want to fix it. I'm a lot like that. It's part of my job. It's part of my duty. And what, what I do quite a bit of the time is here's a problem, fix it. And so I have to learn to just be quick to listen and slow to speak. Here's what James tells us, that our tongue is ready to move and it is a restless evil. Like it wants to, the words are right there. But James is going to tell us later that it's a restless evil and it's set on fire by hell. And it just takes a small spark to, to, to keep um, pressing that. All right, what does it mean to be slow to anger? Y'all, your anger and my anger, here's what James is really getting at in verse 20, says that your anger and my anger will not produce the righteousness that we desire. We think it will, right? And, and you might even be saying, that, well, wasn't Jesus? Jesus was angry, right? Jesus went to the temple and he even took a whip and he drove them out. And he threw over tables like Jesus was angry. And I would say, yes, but he did not sin. There is an anger that can be possessed. Jesus had it and he did not sin. We know this because scripture clearly tells us that he neither sinned nor was deceit found in his mouth. So, yeah, he was angry. But do you know why he was angry? It was a righteous anger. 
the, the temple was really a symbol that God's presence was with his people. This is where people were supposed to gather and remember the goodness and the graciousness of God. They should be able to come here and make prayers and petitions and sacrifices. And what had happened is that opportunistic people decided, well, people are traveling and they need to, they need to offer a sacrifice. They don't need the inconvenience of bringing their sacrifice. We'll just sell it here. And so they took what should have been a symbol of the presence of the glory of God in the midst of his people, and they made it a marketplace. People weren't coming there to pray and for prayer and petition. They were coming there, and there was profit being made off of the glory of God. The holy God who pulled his people out of a sinful nation, his, mark, or his, his temple grounds had become a marketplace. Jesus was angry, absolutely you and I can have that anger within us whenever we see the goodness, the mercy, the grace, and the glory of God being exploited. There will be a righteous anger that rises up within us. That's why we need to remember there's a scripture in Ephesians 4.27. Ephesians 4.27 says, Be angry and do not sin. So, James also did not say, I'll repeat that here in just a second. James did not say, don't get angry. He said, be slow to anger. Why? Because if we're slow to anger, we're really thinking through this. We're processing what we're hearing. We're not rushing in to rationalize how we feel. We're going to be slow to anger. And Ephesians 4.27 says, be angry and do not sin. It even follows that with this. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So Ephesians 4.27 tells us what James already did. You're going to be angry. Jesus was angry. Jesus had a righteous anger. And you and I will have opportunities whenever there is a righteous anger because we are so angry and frustrated and we're hating what God hates. But the world will move in a way that you and I will not agree with. The Bible is very clear about that. The fact that we are seeing a division between the church and our nation is biblical. It's there. The reason that we see churches that are gathering and that are not really gathering as a church, but they're gathering as a crowd is biblical. It tells us that this is going to happen. There is a reason that pulpits are not all proclaiming the gospel. It's biblical. It tells us it's going to happen. And you and I will grow frustrated and angry whenever we see the goodness, grace, and mercy, and love of our God. Whenever we see the gospel just something used for profit, we will grow angry. Jesus was angry about that. But we cannot sin in that. I'm going to give you this again, Ephesians 4.27. Final word on anger. Be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, why? Because verse 27, if you let the sun go down on your anger, verse 27 says, and give no opportunity to the devil. Because what the devil would love to do is to take our righteous anger and make it something that's based now more on our desires and preferences and to where we can no longer speak in kindness and truth to anybody. So, you will have anger but have it without sin. And the way you have it without sin is you're honestly going to have to be slow to anger, to really ju to, to think through it. Am I angry over my desires and my preferences and what I want? 90% of the time, church, that's the source of my anger and my frustration. 
It's not what I desired. It's not what I wanted. It's not how I programmed this scenario to be. So most of my anger and our anger is sinful, and it's not usually the righteous anger of God. We may say that it is because we're, we're frustrated by the situation, but whenever we're slow to anger, we're really thinking, is this really of God or is this really of me? James says, you need to know this. Christians, cross life as you gather. Whether you're, whether you're Gavin, who's, who's eight, or you're a believer who's 88, be slow to speak. Uh, let me do it in order. Be, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So, brothers and sisters that I'm walking alongside, if you want to be righteous, and we want to grow in our righteousness, there's a lot to be said with that verse right there. It's really a call back to self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so God, give us that self-control. Okay, so hold on to that. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Underline it, memorize it, and then practice it. And put people around you who will help you to practice this. Put people in your life that you say to them, you have an open door to say to me, it's time to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger, Ricky. You need people like that. Why? Because if we don't have those people who will, who will walk alongside us and hold us accountable, then we will be left unaccountable and we will just continue walking in that which makes us comfortable. Okay? So, now, how do these verses, that's just kind of some life application, it's, and, and that's all, all really good. But we're going to keep moving through, and as we move through this verse, or this passage, then this takes on an even sharper context, because look at the following verse. Um, this would be verse 21. He follows all of that, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. There's, there's a purpose to why he told us that we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then he said that, that anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God, and, and that all comes to a head right here because an unwillingness to listen, an overwillingness to speak instead, and a readiness for anger, all of that gets lumped together with put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Yeah, like there's a court that therefore, that word, I was always told is there for a reason. There is a connection between the anger of man not producing the righteousness of God and us having to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, which would be humility. There's a connection there. Why do we have to listen, speak less, be angry slower, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and it's for this reason, so that we can humbly receive the word of God, which is able to save your souls. All of that has to go by the wayside. We have to heed those so that we can be humble and receive the word. So there's a correlation. There's probably a lot to say about this, but, but I think we can do it in this way, that our sin that crouches so near to us is rooted in our pride. We sin because of the pride within us. I believe that there really almost every sin, if not all sin, comes back to two main things, pride and unbelief, okay? So if we look at James, verses 19 through 20, it really is telling us to be a little bit more humble 
Maybe they don't need your voice and your advice, and maybe your anger is not justified. And with that unjust, unrighteous anger, put away all the wickedness and the filth of this world and humbly receive the word. So these are all about how you and I receive the word, and it's basically by dealing with the wickedness and the pride and the evil that's within us and about us so that we can come to the word ready, ready to be saved again. Now, now we know that Christ saved us historically, church, but we're in this process of sanctification where we are saved, but we are being saved day by day by day, and he is bringing us home to where we will finally be safe from every harm and trouble. Why does he say to receive it with humility after telling us to cast off all filthiness and wickedness? Have you ever wondered, like, and you probably have, but have you ever realized how humbling it is to confess your sins and repent before even God in private? That's essentially what he's saying. Saying, your anger doesn't produce righteousness. Put away filthiness. Put away rampant wickedness. The way that we get to our humility is just start calling our sin what it is. See our lives as a holy God would see our lives. Call out that sin. Lay it on him because he laid down his life for us and he says that he will forgive our sin. You know what? Isaiah 57. No, no, I'm not going to do that one. Um, I'm going to get to that one. I will tell you this. He has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. We just have to confess those sins, and it is humbling when you do that. It's one thing for me to confess my sins to Mark, which I think is biblical, by the way, but I can also deceive Mark, and I can protect myself a little bit. But whenever you start to repent before a holy God who sees you every moment and knows your heart better than you do, and whose spirit is within you interceding with words too deep for your understanding— Whenever you're confessing to that God, everything gets laid bare, and it is humbling. And in that humility, God can do an amazing work. James is, James is telling us to forsake the sin that's, that's all around us. Put it away. Receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Isaiah 57, 15 says this. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Y'all listen to what he says, believers. This is amazing. I dwell, God says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. God chooses to dwell in two places. The high and holy place of heaven that we always look to and talk about, that great throne room. This is Isaiah 57, 15. And then he dwells somewhere else. He dwells in the humble heart. You and I should desire humility. But in a world, and you teenagers listen to me very closely on this one too, but it's for all of us. In a world that says, show me your strength, God says, show me your humility. And to be humble in this world is entirely contradictory to what the world wants. They say, show me your strength, and God says, show me your humility, because when you are humble, I will show my strength on your behalf. So that's why this is so incredibly important. That's why we come to the Word humbly, knowing that this is exactly what we need in this moment. We don't need anything else. Cross life with great humility, 
receive the word which is able to save your souls, but to do that we have to clean house within us as well. Your sins, my sins, they may bring us temporary satisfaction, but they will also bring a greater guilt, and get this, they will bring a self-induced distance between us and God. A self-induced distance. I mean, I am, I am married to chastity. I love her. But there are times whenever, y'all, we're, we just were not clicking. Right? And so there's a little bit of distance. And then we, we let that distance grow. And then, and then we're sitting there. And we're wondering, how did we get here? How did we get drifted so far apart? That drift, I mean, that's just a natural thing that happens in life. And so we have to fight to close that distance, even in the real world. There is a distance which can grow between a believer and God, and it is all rooted in sin. There is a scripture for this, Isaiah 59.2. You might want to jot down. But this is scary, y'all. This is sobering. Listen to Isaiah 59.2. James isn't writing to to the, the tribes in dispersion as a preacher, he's writing with a pastoral heart. Like, here's what you need. Like, here's, here's exactly what you need. And, and he calls this all to mind. But, but Isaiah 59, 2 says this. But your iniquities, which are sins, but your sins, your iniquities, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, but didn't Christ die on the cross for our sins? Absolutely. But don't forget this, that when we sin, God will discipline those whom he loves. You know, we, we sin because of our pride, and we repent because of our humility. May God give us humble hearts. When we're humble before the word, it works within us and throughout us. And, and the God who may be separated from us because of our sins, he draws near to those who are humble and call upon him again and again. But to get to the point of humility before the word, James says we have to do a few things. I want to pull it all into a quick summary. Here it is. To get to that humble point before the word, you have to be quick to listen to godly advice in God's word. You have to be slow to speak and therefore... Um, you're, you're going to be listening more. And we need to be slow to anger and put away all filthiness and wickedness and humbly receive God's word. If you and I, church, are going to grow in holiness to be more like Jesus, we cannot do that without being in the word. It's impossible. And I am absolutely guilty as a pastor as well of my quiet times and my intentional reading time being completely hijacked by circumstances. I am guilty also. Okay, so this is not Ricky here preaching to you. This is, we are in this together, and we have to understand that if we're going to be more like Jesus, we must read the Word and humbly receive it. That's why it's important that we gather and that the Word is preached. That's why it's important that when, even when we're not gathered, you are reading the Word. You need it. John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. How are we sanctified according to Jesus? By his word. If we're not in the word, we will be more and more like the world. It's just what's going to happen. We will be like a boat that is next to the dock and the rope has been cut and we will just naturally drift away. Not intentionally, 
but we will naturally drift away if we are not anchored to the Word and thereby God. James says, Receive with meekness the implanted Word, why it is able to save your souls. All that you and I need for salvation and growing in our salvation is going to be found in the Word. I really do apologize for all the background noise. This is a, a new dynamic, and so we'll figure out what's going on with that. And so, so forgive us for that. All right, now, now I just want to do this. Let, let, me, let me say it this way. Show me a Christian who makes no time for the Word, and you will find a Christian who is struggling in his or her walk with Christ. And I am guilty. Okay? I'm guilty of that too. Show me a Christian who makes no time to be in the Word, and you will find a Christian who is struggling in his or her walk with Christ. I bet you that when we feel the furthest from the Lord, it's because we are far from the Lord, and we are not in the Word. And I am guilty too. Okay? And y'all, without the Word, you and I will not grow in the Lord. And I am guilty of this too. Right, so be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, put away all sin that, that you possibly can, and be humble. Now, okay, right now, the next verses. That's where we should stop, but that would be way too easy, okay? So the next verses, and this is really a, this is it, but, but be doers, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what, it was, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now the first part was be prepared to hear. Like we have to, all of that in the beginning was we got to make sure that we're ready to hear the word of God. And that requires that we do some work on our side and that we're humble enough to hear it. And this is now, what do we do with what we just heard? It is not what we hear and read in the moment. I mean, I think that it would be very humbling for me to give you a pop quiz of what I preached on last week with your Bibles closed and your nose closed. Okay, like, what did I preach on last week? We'd probably do that one. The week before... What about the week before that? I mean, some of you even said, that was a great sermon. I love that. I just want to encourage you, and that was wonderful. What was preached? I'm glad I'm not doing this out loud, because the smirks on your face tell me everything. Okay? There's a point in this, and you're humbling me. Okay, I'm slow to speak, slow to anger right now. But what about a month before that? You realize as a church... The, the, from Cross Life's inception, and so, so some of us have been there from the very, very beginning. Um, so we've, we've covered Galatians, and the Gospel of John, and Titus, and Jonah, and now James. How much of that do we remember? We heard it, right? I'm not going to lie. I listened to my sermon the other day, um, and it was from the end of Jonah. I don't even remember saying some of that. I know it's in the notes, but I'm sitting there going, oh, actually sound like a real pastor right there. That was pretty good. And then there were other parts I'm like, take note, do not do that again. Okay, so 
My point is this. We are great hearers. We hear in the moment. And you and I hear a whole lot in the world. And we forget a whole lot in the world. And the same thing is absolutely true of Christians whenever they gather for church and Bible studies and whenever we sit down and we hear the word in our private time. We are great hearers. We are not great rememberers. I think scripture kind of points to why that is. But, but it's not what we heard. We're great at hearing. It's what we do with what we've heard. So, I just put it this way. It's, it's not your hearing that's going to show the authenticity of your faith. It's what you do with what you heard. And that's what James is, James is saying. Listen, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. Why? Deceiving yourself. It's bad enough to deceive somebody else, but how tragic when we deceive ourselves. You know what he's telling us is that there, there are a lot of, a lot of us who will hear and not do anything with it. And if that's the case, then we're deceiving ourselves that our faith is deep and real. This is where my pastoral heart was at the beginning whenever I said, remember the gospel, okay? Because I'm with you. Y'all, I've heard John Piper speak live in person. He's one of my favorite pastors. I've heard Louis Giglio and Francis Chan. I went, to, um, went with a, a college group, and we went to, to Passion down in Atlanta. And that was a great experience. Chas would not let me carry the wallet and the billfold because there were so many homeless people, and she didn't trust me with the money. And I would still ask permission, and sometimes she would say yes, sometimes she would say no. And she was wise to do that. Okay? So we're there, and we're at this huge conference, and we're singing praises with, um, with Chris Tomlin and David Crowder. Like, I remember the atmosphere. I do not remember what they preached. I heard it. And I, I admire these these pastors that God has used, but, but it's not about what we hear, it's about what we do with what we've heard, right? I forgot John Piper's sermon and, and Francis Chan's. I remember a, a tiny segment of Louis Giglio's. So because you have forgotten my sermons, I am in great ranks with those men, so thank you. Okay, so there we go. Now, look at, look at what it compares it to. He says it's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, and he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Y'all, it doesn't say he did this. Okay, and then walk away. Like, he doesn't glance at himself. The, the language is that he looks intently. There's a man who looks in a mirror and he's memorizing his face. He knows the, the outlines, the curves. He knows what his hair looks like. He knows who he is because he has studied himself but as soon as he walks away from that mirror, as soon as he saw who he truly was, and then he walks away from the mirror, he forgets what he looks like. And you and I would say, that's foolishness. And James would say, you're right. It is foolish to look into a mirror and to know intently what you look like and then forget what you even look like. You're right, that would be foolish, and that's exactly what we tend to do with God's Word. Right? James says that when we hear and do nothing, we deceive ourselves. And that's a danger. But it is as foolish as a man looking in the mirror, knowing who he is, and then walking away and saying, I have no idea what I look like. Whenever it says that we look into the perfect law and we persevere, the law of liberty, that's the word. That's what it's saying. Whenever we look at the word and it's before us, you and I have our eyes on it. That's why we like to preach the way that we do, so that there's a Bible in hand, there's a text, you can see it. You're looking into the mirror, and it's telling you exactly who you are. 
and we can study ourselves intently, and you and I have to do something with that, or you and I, according to verse 22, are deceiving ourselves. And I am guilty of doing the same. All right. I would say, what a great tragedy, with this, with this passage in mind, what a great tragedy it is that there are so many professing Christians that hear so much, and yet we do so little. He says that whenever we do that, we are deceiving ourselves. He encourages us. He says, but to the one, y'all look at this, but to the one who looks into the perfect law, verse 25, the law of liberty and perseveres. In other words, so the one who, who sees it, they deal with it, and they continue on because of the goodness of God and the gospel. They are no hearer who forgets, but they are a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing, and there is only one who can bless, and that is God. So when we approach Scripture, and when we hear it, and we go to act on it and to do it, you and I will do it imperfectly, and we're going to feel completely inadequate. And while we're doing that, you have to know that God will bless you for the doing of what you have heard. You will not do it in your strength. That's where we go wrong. We hear it, and we're like, well, I don't know how to do that. You're right, we don't. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and will equip us and encourage us for every good work. So... You and I, when we look into God's Word, we will let it take root, and it will take root, and it will grow, and that growth is the action that propels us out. But don't, don't get me wrong. The action is not always going to the nations. The action is in loving your neighbor as you love yourself. It's in serving with kindness those who are around you. So the word that would take root today is in being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's in serving others in the mundane, every aspect of our life. It's in finding that time to commune with God because you know that in reading His Word, your soul is being saved again every single day and renewed. So there are the the quote-unquote simple doings that have eternal effects that you and I will never, ever know about. But I do believe that one day we will be in His presence and we will see what God has done. All right, last thing, Matthew 13, and then we will close. Go to Matthew 13, verse 1 through 9. Because this is why I think we, we hear it and don't do it. You and I have an enemy. Enemies is probably the best way to say it. We have a, an enemy, uh, a chief enemy, but then we have enemies that are in his ranks, but then we also have an enemy that is our old self, and, uh, and so I kind of want you to, to wrestle with this in the hearing and the doing and, and authentic faith. So, Ricky, why is it that we do hear and we want to do better, but then yet we find that that time is gone or that word is gone from us? Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, is the parable of the sower. So Jesus is actually teaching here. And he says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying this, A sower went out to sow. In other words, he's got seed. And as he sowed, as he scattered the seed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. 
Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then, now go down to verse 18. It's always helpful whenever Jesus just tells us very plainly what he was trying to say. All right, so he's going to explain it to us. In verse 18, his disciples are like, what? And so he says, hear then the parable of the sower. Jesus tells us, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Then he goes on, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one, and this is probably closer to home for us, as for the one that was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And the last one, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. So the last one is the one where it's received and understood, and it begins to bear fruit. And fruit is what Matthew Henry would say, faith are the roots, and fruit are the action. Our action of, of, of that deep-rootedness would be the fruit. You know, there's a reason that we hear it and we don't do it. It's because we have an enemy and we have enemies in this world that are trying to snatch the world and, and our affections for Christ away. So we have to strive together. All right, so here's how I'm going to conclude this. Y'all just let those verses set in. Hear them, do them. We all remember the gospel because what God is intending for good right now to equip you and equip me and to remind me of what I must be doing, what God is intending for good, Satan would tell you in this moment that you're an absolute failure, and then he's going to begin to tally up all the failures that you have, and you're going to begin to feel defeated. But Christ, church, because of his great love with which he loved us, he says, I will cast your sins as far as the east is from the west, and I will remember your sins no more. And scripture also says that you and I, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. His death on the cross for our sins was not just for our past sins, but it's for our failures and our sins, even after our moment of salvation. And we have been renewed in Christ. So what God is meaning in conviction, Satan is going to try to condemn you. And that's where you can even say, you're right. But praise God for his cross, which stands on my behalf. But if we hear all of this today and we do nothing, we're not deceiving anybody else. That's way too easy. It's much more tragic if we do nothing and deceive ourselves. So, I think the proper conclusion for this is simply, as we sing, reflect, repent, and turn again and again to Christ. Oh, what a great and gracious and merciful God who when we needed him, he would die for our sins and give himself for so much. And he has redeemed us and called us to be his, and he will bring us home. Until then, we have to hear, we have to do for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God.
may your word wash us and challenge us. And may the Holy Spirit that moved James to pen this letter be the same Holy Spirit that's working within us. Lord, would you guard me and guard Cross Life Fort Smith and those who are hearing this? Would you guard your people from the attacks of Satan who would listen in to this sermon and say, see where you fell and see why you mess up. This is everything that you're doing wrong. Lord, would you guard us from that and may we simply marvel that our God has redeemed us. So Lord, do help us to hear your word and help us to do and live out your word because it's not others who are at stake. It's our own salvation. Authentic faith will produce fruit. It will. Because faith is real, fruit will be real. So Lord, do the work that only you can do and convict us where you would convict us. So Lord, help us to always remember the gospel that Christ came for the wicked and at the right time died for the ungodly so that you could call us your own. Amen.